and welcome to episode 5 of the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai, I am one half of your hosting duo, and joining me today, and as always, is the other half, the better half, the glorious half of the hosting duo from the UTT podcast, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing today, my friend? Well, you've got me blushing early on with that introduction, dear me, that's, that's, far, <laughs> that's far nicer than anything I've ever deserved, I mean could at least say that you know you're like the center console and i'm the uh i was gonna say the eye of the tardis but i'm more like the uh, more like the arsehole of the tardis <laughs> <laughs> uh, just i think you think about it as well i suppose you mentioned that obviously when you're on like a plane or a train or something and you use a toilet it's got to go somewhere so when 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 they do it on the tardis is there like you know freight all the time tunnels and the, and the time channels just random bits of poo floating around where like different time <laughs> machines have just emptied out their their your know, portable loos or whatever well the tardis is a dimension unto itself so it's entirely possible that it's just got some like infinite vortex in there full of shit just, yeah full of shit yeah <laughs> um, or it has, it has been made canon that the TARDIS is effectively in some way powered by a, uh, by a black hole. Okay. So maybe that's like a black and brown hole and they just dump all the turds in there. Mm. Maybe it just floats through time and space, has been condensed into one place and it's now just Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's what you get here at the Doctor Who pod. The real hard-hitting, important questions asked of this 60-year-old television show, this this institution of British television, we ask the important questions no one else is willing to ask. Where does the poo go from the TARDIS? <laughs> is it a TARDIS or a TARDIS? Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, actually, in a way, asking those practical questions, it, that does tie into an element of uh, of the show that we're covering today that I'll, uh, I'll get onto later. So it okay. will actually tie in um, a little bit more than you'd think. I'm intrigued and slightly worried, but we'll get there shortly. <laughs> that, that, is, that is my entire brand i make people intrigued and slightly <laughs> before we get on to today's uh, episode today's topic that dan picked at the trial end of last week's episode there's somebody i want to give a shout out to that i kind of stumbled across on twitter today i don't know if you you're aware of them dan or you've seen them yourself or anything there's a twitter handle called at little who girl have you heard of this person i haven't no okay it's basically a little five-year-old lass and her dad re-watching Doctor Who. Now, they don't, they don't do a podcast, from what I can tell. They don't have um, a proper blog or anything like that, from what I can see. But he literally just tweets about... He's watching classic Who from start to finish with his five-year-old girl. And they're basically coming towards the end now. They're at the, the Sylvester McCoy era. Mm. And it's, it's 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 just so wholesome and lovely and brilliant listening to this little yeah. five year old girl's opinions of of classic Doctor Who talking to her dad and and there's pictures of this young lass in a K nine t shirt and giving a thumbs up after an episode she enjoyed and so on and it's just fantastic and I just wanted to say to that to that person at little Who girl uh, the, the young lass and her dad I've really enjoyed reading back through the their reviews very brief reviews because they're on their own mm. Twitter but reviews of certain storylines from classic who it's great stuff and i just encourage anyone to go and check them a follow and uh just just have a look have a look through their previous tweets the twitter handle itself and just sort of it's it's just nice it's just something nice and smiley for a change on twitter you know oh that sounds brilliant um i'll, I'll give them a i'll give them a look and give them a follow because yeah i think 
after I was I did make a joke about Twitter being a complete shitty, but uh, it will be there are um, there are good places in amidst all the uh, all the horribleness, and that certainly sounds like one of them. Yeah, and it's just oh, it's great. great to, it's great. Great to see the next generation of Hoovians being educated. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what we are looking at today was an episode, or is sorry, an episode selected from New Who, I guess, as is the format of the show. We go back and forth between classic Who and New Who. Dan is very much for this series taking charge of the New Who episodes, and what was selected for us to rewatch this time round was a Jodie Whittaker story. So quite recent in mind, and it's and I'm going to butcher this every time I try and say it. So Dan, correct me if I say it. I've I've been waiting for this. (laughs) (laughs) Correct me if I say it wrong, and there may be occasions throughout the episode I just go, Dan, what's it called again? Because I butchered it so many times at the end of last week's episode. (laughs) The haunting of Villa Diodati. Is that correct? Yeah, if if you take out the five second pause between syllables you just gave, <laughs> <laughs> the haunting of Villa Diodati. Yes, uh, Villa Diodati. Diodati. Yeah, season, okay. Season twelve, episode eight of uh, New Doctor Who, and probably the most. Yeah, well, it will be the most modern one we look at uh, because it aired in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you selected this one, the name didn't really sort of jog my memory as to what it was about. So I was I was looking forward to going back and rewatching, even though I, I I watched all of Whitaker's episodes and so on. I don't remember masses. I remember the flux because that's quite quite recent in my mind. Um, and I I suppose it's that scenario of when I see something, it jogs my memory, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. When I pressed play, I thought to myself, oh yeah, I remember this. But as we sort of run through the episode shortly, there's a massive, massive part of this episode. I completely forgot happened, and we'll get to that in a little while. But um, why was it you chose this one, then, Dan? Why was this the option out of, uh, I suppose, out of Jodie Whittaker's stories and out of all the options you could have had with other Doctors for this week? Why was it Why was it this one you selected? Uh, well, well, we'll go with other Doctors first. I, I was just having a really difficult time choosing uh, between episodes for uh, Tennant, Smith and Capaldi. Uh, I've got a long list of uh, of episodes that I think comes to about 42 between the lot of them to pick from. Okay. <laughs> We've only so, got about eight episodes of season one left, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. It, it's difficult, all right? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know um, what you mean. Well, yeah, because you've got more episodes than me. So... And I, I didn't necessarily want to go from straight from Eccleston to Tennant in terms of New Who, because that's just a bit linear. I didn't want to pick something that I wasn't sure on, you know, for sort of, that sort of ruled Smith and Capaldi out. I know we're going to get to the movie at some point in the middle of the run anyway. Um, so it, just by process of elimination, Jodie Whittaker became the next uh, the next stop. Okay, makes sense, yeah. And I know we're trying to keep these episodes to a certain uh, runtime, so I didn't want to do any of the ones that were a two-parter, like Spyfall or the two episodes that follow this uh, or anything else. And, but this, quite simply for me, is the most memorable and best episode of Jodie Whittaker's run. I'm a big horror movie fan, as I mentioned last week, and this hits a lot of those notes. Um, it's atmospheric, it's tense, it's a little bit creepy in places, and it's... We'll come to it later, but it's a really... It's a great example of that thing Doctor Who does where the Doctor and the companions pick somewhere in history just to go and observe, but inadvertently end up 
causing the event they came to witness. Yes. Uh, the, for some, the one that springs to mind because I've watched it recently is uh, a Catherine Tate episode, uh, Unicorn and the Wasp, where they go to meet Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. but it it's uh, it links in with a period of Agatha, Agatha Christie's life where she went missing for three weeks and has no memory of what happened. Mm, that's yeah. actually document. That's actually documented, but it was all to do with what happened in that episode. You know, they've the sort of woven it into actual documented history, and it, this does the same thing. So, yeah, primarily because it's a little bit spooky, and it um, and it's it's essentially influencing historical events and works. Yeah, okay. I enjoy that too. I mean, the show I do with, with our good friend Benny, uh, the Quantum Leap podcast, at the waiting room underscore, we have, you tend to find with Quantum Leap fans and so on, it's or, or people who have podcasts on the show or write about the show or whatever, they call those moments um, a kiss with history, as cheesy as that may sound. And it's, mm. it, you see, uh, you see, for example, Sam and Quantum Leap, supposedly teaching a six-year-old Michael Jackson the moonwalk and <laughs> giving um, the, the lyrics of Peggy Sue to uh, Buddy Holly and, and so on. And, and But they're very small sort of little twists, little touches that mm. aren't, I suppose, as dramatic as you might get with certain episodes of Doctor Who because we've seen the Doctor be involved in, in historical wars that actually happened and we've seen the doctor interact with very famous historical figures over i suppose really big moments in history not just teaching a six-year-old a dance he may do on stage 20 years later or whatever so i really enjoy when we get those moments that sort of cross over into history that we can actually look up ourselves if that does that make sense yeah oh yeah absolutely and I think it was particularly in Matt Smith's era, the Doctor was like big friends with Winston Churchill. You know, just yeah. doing things like that where, where it just like, <laughs> again, you know, where it just, like you say, and it's right, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it is a kiss with history. It's just mm. brushing by or, you know, just there in the background. It's um, it's it's a great thing. I really like it. But going back to Jodie Whittaker, one of uh, her other really memorable, memorable episodes was uh, when the Doctor uh, met uh, Rosa Parks. Yes, um, during the civil rights movement in America, that was another really memorable episode. Um, mm. In fact, it, it was either that or this. Okay, um, but to be quite honest, um, I didn't necessarily think that sort of two white blokes covering the civil rights era movement and all yeah. that would have, was the, was the best. It was the best way forward, if I'm honest. So I went for the scary one. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Because watching this back, I thought this was absolutely bloody brilliant. I loved it. Yes. I, 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 was, I was trying to make notes and trying to jot down things like certain points that I really wanted to bring up on the show talking to you now so that we could discuss them and go through them and I can get your uh, your thoughts as well on certain moments that I thought were either great or a bit ropey or whatever. I even ended up not making as many notes as I wanted to or having to pause it and rewind it all the damn time to go back and catch things I'd missed because I was making notes because I, I enjoyed it that much. I, I sat and watched it from start to finish. I just thought it was an absolutely fantastic episode. Yeah, it, it's one that I think, unfortunately, will will fly under the radar for a lot of people because even I've got friends, you know, Doctor Who fans who we start talking about, you know, great episodes that we like from New Who and from, you know, Eccleston comes up, Smith comes up, Tennant mm-hmm. comes up all the time. Very few people ever bring up Jodie Whittaker. And I have to say, 
this episode and the two that follow it are fantastic. They stand up to anything else in, in Doctor Who. Mm, anything okay. else, in my mind. I think I agree. I mean, watching this back now, I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of a story that I would put up against this and say it's considerably better. There are stories I prefer, but mm. a story that is like, oh, miles, miles, miles better. I don't think off the top of my head right now I could pick one. I enjoyed this that much. I mean, just to sort of set the scene, I suppose, we are arriving in the middle of a bloody great horrific thunderstorm at Lake Geneva in 1816 mm-hmm. to some fairly famous faces from that era with regards to poetry, writing, and so on. There's some spooky goings on, lots of lightning flashes as well, because everyone loves a good thunderstorm in a horror film, don't they? It always sets a scene. And yeah, it's, um, got to, it's got to happen. Yes, yes. And the Doctor and the gang arrive at the door soaking wet, and we then go into the intro. And we always have a little look at the intro because we're jumping back and forth across effectively 60 years of television. What are your thoughts about the music and the intro for the Jodie Whittaker era? I like it. It's 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 the cool sort of modern look to it. It's contemporary. The the music is very grand uh, compared mm. to a lot of the other ones, and I mean that including you who as well, not just the sort of the paired back originals. Um, it is very grand, and, and it f- it's it's a weird thing. It feels big, if you know what I mean. It's like it's the same music, but it feels it feels huge somehow. Like it's got fair enough. It's been done with an orchestra or whatever, but there's just something behind it that makes it feel quite momentous but it's just somehow and maybe it's just recency bias because it, it is so fresh in the mind but just maybe not as iconic as others but that might be something that that comes into it over time because you can't really call something sort of legendary or, or iconic when one Jodie Whittaker's run hasn't ended and two it the runs only been lasting for effectively two seasons or three seasons now with the flux mm. yeah no I agree I agree I mean for me for me music wise I think there's a bit too much going on. It's mm. we, we just we just watched a Patrick Trayton serial from 1967. And when we discussed the intro and the music for that, I, I said it was really kind of, it, it struck me how stripped back it was and how almost creepy it was with just the, the main tone running over the top of very stripped back music. Mm. Now here, it's also the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's still the classic iconic theme. Of course it is. So I still really enjoy it. Not, you know, I'm not saying it's terrible or anything like that. It's the same piece of music, just done a different way. However, it's almost like there's so much going on. I kind of lost what the the actual theme was, if that makes sense. I can see that. The, the irony is you mentioned the Troughton episode. Given the way this is sort of set up, the spookier, creepier Troughton theme would have fit this better, would have fit this particular story. Yeah, okay much better because we've already had something of a jump scare just leading into the leading into the intro because it's started mm. out with all the you know the writers and poets sat around Lord Byron's reading from you know reading reading something horrific at Mary Shelley's request. And all he does is go and answer the door and they're all there, they all scream and the the people you know, the poets scream and then the doctor and the companions scream and it's all it's a little bit of comedy to cut through the uh, the tension that they've built up already. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose with regards to the, the intro music, very quickly, seeing as I, I didn't do it to the, the, the top of the show, I want to give a shout out to the guy who plays our intro music, our version of the uh, the excellent Doctor Who theme, and that's Borna Matosic. You can find him on Twitter, on YouTube, on bornamatosicmusic.com. 
Uh, find them all over the place. And it's Warner, M-A-T-O-S-I-C. There's lots of great covers, lots of awesome science fiction themes, Doctor Who themes and so on. Well worth checking out. And as always, Borna, thank you so, so much for allowing us to use your cover of the Doctor Who theme for our show. And see, if Borna's music was on this introduction, it'd be a 10 out of 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Doctor then uses the psychic paper to try and uh, gain access, I guess, or pull the wool over the eyes of the people who've opened the door to them and uh, get the gang into the the quite posh looking building psychic paper dan very much a new who kind of invention what are your thoughts on it i really like the psychic paper it obviously came in with uh, with eccleston but it's just a great device to use throughout the stories to explain how the doctor and the companions have managed to get in somewhere you just flash a thing it shows you shows the person what they need to see to get them in somewhere i think at one point, the doctor was. It showed up that the doctor was the king of Spain, or something like that. <laughs> I think it was in the the, the tenant episode uh, with the uh, with the killer TVs, um, and he used it to get get access to Alexandra Palace. Uh, right, it was okay. a broadcasting station. <laughs> so yeah, it's stuff like that. I think it's it's just a clever little thing, and I'm really glad that they've carried it through because it's still in the the psychic paper is still in the original little leather wallet that Eccleston had it in. Yeah, it's not it's not changed. It's just a really nice little callback. Yeah, I mean, on that note, I suppose I mean, the other main, I suppose, gadget that the Doctor has is the sonic screwdriver. That's been used for so many different things now. It's almost like there's a, there's an issue. The Doctor is stuck somewhere. He just he or she, sorry, just sort of fizzes her little screwdriver at something, and it gives the answers you need. It's it's a good plot device, I suppose, for helping develop along the stories. When it, it, almost like they write themselves into a corner, maybe I don't know, but. You mentioned there about the paper always looking the same from doctor to doctor. The screwdriver changes, doesn't it? What are your it thoughts does. on the sonic screwdriver as a as a device in general on Doctor Who, but also the the opposite of the paper, I guess, of each doctor having their own model? Yeah, I mean, with the screwdriver, it makes more sense because the only thing you could really do to change a psychic paper would be to give it a jazzy wallet. And for, for something that you see for all of a few seconds here and there, it doesn't make much sense. But the Doctor's screwdriver, particularly in New Who, and I'm assuming in Old, to a degree becomes a part of the character. Yeah. So I can't really... I think Eccleston and Tennant were very similar. It was sort of like quite pared back, had the little blue thing on the end. And then it went to Matt Smith, and he had this... It was a bigger screwdriver, and it like extended out, and it had prongs, and it had a display that it was... Or it was thought to have a display that it was reading from. And then we've, I can't remember Capaldi's as such, um, but Whitaker's is sort of very sleek and it's got the yellow light and blatantly does have readings on there that, that, that she reads. So it becomes an extension of the character. And, and I, again, it, I like it. I like that if, it's, if you're being cynical about it, it's a great marketing opportunity because yes. kids, are, if, if, if a certain doctor is your favourite, or your kid's favourite, they're going to want it. They're going to want that screwdriver. I bought, a Matt, I bought a Matt Smith screwdriver. Brilliant. A, t- a toy one. It's just going to be my next question then, actually, when you brought that up about the, the merchandising and the kids and so on. Do you have any? I know we're sort of, I, I suppose, digressing away from our, our main topic today, but it's, it's an interesting conversation, I think. Do you have any other bits and bobs, Doctor Who-wise, merch-wise, or sort of nerdy collection-wise, I guess? Because I've got a few bits knocking around downstairs myself, you see. Yeah, I've got that screwdriver knocking around somewhere. I've got numerous books um, that I've been gifted, that have 
most have been gifted to me, to be honest, uh, for, you know, birthdays and Christmases over the years. One of them's just simply a book of Doctor Who quotes, which okay. um, I will be using at some point for uh, for this series, I'd think, uh, to have a little yeah. bit of a, a look back and whatnot. Um, I've got a signed, framed cell of uh, one of the episodes. So it's, it's, a, it's a little little film cell uh, from the Matt Smith area. It's been that long since I've read the what's on it that I can't remember which one it is, which is terrible. Um, but it's got a uh, Matt Smith signature cool. and, a few, and a few of the other cast. Um, that's uh, sort of taking pride of place in uh, uh, in my in my little like collection of nerdy tat that yeah. I've got sort of knocking around. <laughs> um, apart from that, I think that's pretty much it. I did used to have a couple of t-shirts, but uh, age and waistline prevent me from wearing those nowadays. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just a few little bits and pieces. What about you? Uh, mine are very much kind of. I suppose figures. I guess I've mm. got uh, a little Dalek on my desk. I mean, my my desk downstairs, where I tend to do a bit of writing and, and my editing from. I don't tend to do it up here because once we finish recording, the wife likes to go to bed. So, mm. <laughs> so I take I, I uproot all my cables, go downstairs, and I do my editing downstairs on my main desk. It, it's kind of surrounded by signed wrestler pictures and wrestler action figures and mm. title belts and so on. And there's a little section at the front with some Doctor Who stuff. And it's got, there's a little model Dalek there, a Cyberman. Uh, there's a, a Lego TARDIS. It's only about nice. two inches tall. Uh, I don't even know where it came from. I just one day just found, I don't know if it was my son's when he used to play with Lego, or I'm not sure, <laughs> but I was like, right, I'm having that then. That's gone on my, that's gone on my shelf. Uh, I've got, well, for Christmas this year, actually, my wife bought me a, a four pack of Daleks and you had a gold Dalek, a, a, a white Dalek from Sylvester McCoy times and so mm. on. And it wasn't until I got the lights that I realised that they were all they all had little springs in the bottom. So they act like bobbleheads. So they just wibble and wobble all over the place. I've got something like that at work. I've got a, a, a bobble TARDIS. Um, ah, all right, okay. Yeah. And it's it's like it's not like the, just the head goes, the whole thing sort of moves. So nice. and I've got I've got a little video that I'll have to sort of share with, with people when, when this episode comes out of Lemmy, my cat, taking an interest in these wobbly things moving on my desk. So I just start moving them towards him inch by inch all four of them and, the, and the, the, the Daleks basically kind of look like they're attacking my cat until he gets his air off and just knocks them all flying. So <laughs> no, I, I got oh, great stuff. And the last one I suppose that's worth mentioning is I've got a TARDIS that's about probably no more than an inch tall and it's probably no more than oh, probably less than a half inch wide. It's a tiny little thing. And it looks like it might've one day been part of a key ring potentially or part of mm. a, I, I don't know. It looks like it, there's a hole there for a chain to go through. But it's like a, a cast, I suppose a cast model. It's solid metal, but it's looks very old. And it looks kind of twisted and distorted a little bit where it's just been cast and then painted. And it's got a, for the bulb, the flashing light on the top, it's got a little green stone set in it. And it's just, so I've, I've never seen one like it before or since. And again, I don't know mm. where it came from. It just kind of turned up in my house one day i don't know if it was a, a gift from someone i'd forgotten about or my wife's best friend her mum was doctor who crazy and she sadly mm. passed away a year or so ago so a lot of her doctor who stuff she said she, she said she wanted to go to me so maybe it came with that i'm not sure mm. but I'll, I'll take a picture and, and send it over to you dan i'll share it on the twitter as well it's a really odd looking little thing but it's got 
real character to it. It's got a real sort of because it's yeah. not perfectly straight. It's not the the windows aren't perfectly painted. It's got it's a real sort of odd looking thing. But I, I kind of love it really. That sounds that sounds mint, and uh, it's kind of it's one of those you're not quite sure where it came from. But if I, if I were in your position, I'd I think I'd be like. I'd choose a backstory for it, essentially. Okay. I'd, 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 well, no, it's like it's one of those ways. Like you'd like to think it came across with um, uh, with all the other stuff, you know, yeah. from the uh, from the lady who sadly passed away. But yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's got. I'll send you a picture later, and I'll get, I'll get one up on the Twitter as well when this episode comes out. It's it's quite. It's got a little character to it where it's just kind of. I suppose coining a Doctor Who phrase, wibbly wobbly. I suppose it's not perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I relate to things like that. It's like it's kind of like. You know what it's supposed to be, but it's just a little bit wrong. And yeah. that, that's how I feel most of the time. I know what I'm supposed to be, but I'm just a little bit off it. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> uh, so then, the Doctor and the gang, and I, I keep referring to them as the gang, but we should probably name these individuals. We, of course, have Yaz, who is, is a new storyline with the Doctor now, as Jodie Whittaker sort of is on her way out, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to discussing at the end of the episode today. We have Graham, played by Bradley Walsh, and we have... Ryan as well, who is Bradley Walsh's, I suppose, adopted grandson or step grandson or wasn't he? Step, was I think step grandson, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean it's the first time we've come across these these companions, Dan. What are your thoughts on the three as a group, as individuals? I really like Yaz. I think she's quality. She well, her character she's a copper. Um, but she uses this sort of very analytical mind. And mm-hmm. this reading of people, noticing little things going on. She's she's not just a spare part, which is what I think a companion needs to be. Yeah. Um and by that so by sort of at the opposite end of the scale, Ryan has his moments that are few and far between. But I feel like the I feel like probably the direction and the writing of the character really uh, really let the actor down. Tosin Cole, um I don't think the writing and, and the way he was instructed to play the character have, have done him any favours because Ryan comes across as as very wooden. I mean, there's mm. nothing wrong with him. He's just, but he's a lot of the time he's just sort of there. No, that's exactly the phrase I was going to use. He is just kind of there, isn't he? There's no, as you said, there's nothing majorly wrong with him, but there's nothing outstanding or memorable either. Yeah. Um, and then we get to Graham, played by Bradley Walsh. And I, Graham is one of the most relatable companions I've ever I've come across in New Who or any of the, the few bits of old who I've watched. Yeah. And you see it particularly in this episode, but we'll, I'll come to that because I think Graham is sort of the heart and soul, if you like, of, the, of this group, mm. this version, because he is he's there to be Ryan's granddad. But he extends that to Yaz and the Doctor as well. He's always there to listen. He, he's offering support, advice, um, and just trying to help in any way you can. Mm. And it's there's a lot of moments like that in the episodes following this. Um, the they get separated. Uh, the Graham's with Yaz, and they're in danger. They don't know if they're going to get out of it. And they just have this real nice moment where they just sat down. Shit's about to go down, and he just he sits her down. And he just says. It's been a real, just along lines of something along the lines of it's been a real honor to get to know you. You're remarkable. Yeah. You're fan, and just giving it, you're a fantastic person. And just leaving it at that, just because he wanted to say it before they both die, potentially die. Mm. And it's just a really sweet moment. And Bradley Walsh brings a lot to that, to that character, I think. 
yeah i agree i totally agree i think your, your comments on ryan i, I totally agree with I, I don't i can't i can't add anything to that i suppose in a similar way and this may sound a bit a bit snidey but in a similar way i suppose that the character ryan didn't add a great deal to to what went on in the tardis for a while i suppose but um <laughs> yeah yes. Yeah, Yaz is Yaz is great as well. I think she does a, a good job in that role. She almost comes across as the main companion, I suppose, the, the one who's maybe slightly more vocal than the other two at times, potentially. Uh, she's, she's, well. she's, sorry, she's, Yaz as well. She's positioned in the in the in a character's backstory to, to take the initiative with being yes. like so with being the copper. So it, it, it she she does that, and it all feels very natural. Mm. Yeah, and there's a line yeah. in this episode where the Doctor refers to a team structure. And all of that, and it's like it says it's not always flat. It's mountainous with her, with with the doctor at the top, um, but very much the next sort of in line, if you like. If if it was going hierarchical, is definitely Yaz. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With regards to Graham, obviously I've seen a great deal of classic Who, of old Who, as well as as well as the new Who. So I've got lots of companions to sort of run through. I actually put him up there as one of the best companions they've ever had. I think really? he is that good. I think yeah. he is that. I, I just think the guy's fantastic. It just, mm. as you said, the, the the moments where he's showing a certain level of warmth to the other characters. There's moments where he doesn't fully understand what's going on, but yeah. tries to sort of contribute, and it comes across just, just so, just, just lovely, just brilliant. And there's just the great comedy moments with him as well. I, I was gutted when he left the show. I wanted more from the character Graham, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. Um, it's but a lot of that is encapsulated in this episode. Like you said, the great comedy moments where I don't know if you clocked it, but throughout this episode, somebody is always scaring the shit out of him. Yes, Somebody, <laughs> somebody's always making him jump, and he just will you bloody stop? And it, yeah. it's like it's like having you know a, I don't want to say older because I think probably was about what about sixty, and you know I'm in I'm in my thirties. You're you're a little bit older Steady. than I am, but I've <laughs> been nice, you old bastard. <laughs> oh, it's like being back talking to Mags or Benny, mate. <laughs> well, now I understand them. <laughs> but uh, I've completely lost my train of thought there. Uh, yeah, with, with Graham, um, he just he's just really, really awesome. It's like, it, it, yeah. Obviously, he's a lot younger, but it puts me a bit in mind of uh, Bernard Cribbins. When, uh, okay, when he was yeah. playing, uh, when he was playing Donna's granddad, and he was just one of the most wholesome characters on mm. ever in Doctor Who, and probably on TV. Um, and you get the same vibes from Bradley Walsh. I was really sad when he left. It was quite a nice thing for Graham, the character, though, to finally have that bond built with his grandson. You know, yeah. obviously following his wife's death and all of that. It was great for him, and you know, great for Ryan as well. But. Yeah, it's just a shame we didn't get more of him. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. I agree. Yeah, I, I, hopefully he, he sort of turns back up in later episodes or when Jodie Whittaker regenerates, like how former companions have shown up in the past on regeneration episodes. Maybe we'll see a little bit from him again. Who knows? I hope so, because it's it's very easy to get, to, to bring in someone like Bradley Walsh, who's a presenter and, or, you know, you bring in comedians and things like that, and it can go very wrong. Mm. I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at Peter Kay. When he was in Love and Monsters, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's exactly. ropey. That's ropey. Yeah, you look at Catherine Jenkins in that god awful Christmas special with the flying fish, where Michael Gambon was in it. Do you know what you mentioned? 
this, I think, last week as well. I don't think I've seen that. At the end of the series, we'll do a special episode. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to... I want you to sit down and watch it. Because who is the Doctor? It is, is, is it is it Talent, the Doctor? Or is uh, no, it's... Oh, who is it? It might be Matt Smith, you know. Uh, I'll tell you what, 100% I've not seen this then. I can tell you now. I can it's tenant, you it's Tenant or Smith. Okay. But I, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. It's Tenant or Smith. But then you get the likes of Bradley Walsh coming in as a companion and he smashes it. Frank yeah. Skinner came in for a Mummy on the Orient Express with Peter Capaldi. Absolutely smashed it. I was really clamouring for him to get a run as, mm. as one of the companions. Uh, I think John Bishop's been really good. Yeah, I mean. In the Flux. I had a, had a few more in mind, but uh, but it's, it's eluding me at the moment. Right. But no, no, when, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so many of those it, are great, yeah. It's a coin flip, though. It can go brilliant or it can go bad. It's Yeah. And, and the thing with Bradley Walsh as well is, it's really funny. I had this conversation literally last night with my wife about companions and the doctors we were discussing peter capaldi oddly i don't know why it came up but we were just chatting stuff away and uh bradley walsh came up as well because we then started talking about you know whitaker and, and so on and my wife knows him as being from coronation street and an actor in other roles i literally know bradley walsh as being the guy from the chase that's it because yeah. i don't watch coronation street i don't watch any anything else i literally know him as being the guy from the chase so when he turned up in Doctor Who, I was a bit like, oh, okay, I ain't sure about that. But it worked. He was fantastic. Yeah, he really was. Um, I, like I said, I primarily know him from The Chase, but he's always entertaining on that. Mm. He's He's got a real quick wit, real quick humour. Um, and I'm sure I've seen him in, in some other stuff, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. So, yeah, it was it was a bit odd thinking, oh, you've got a game show presenter coming in. Yeah. But fair play. Yeah, you, it. you can't imagine you can't imagine Bruce Forsyth hopping about with John Pertwee or anything, could you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> or, or Jim Davidson jumping in the TARDIS for Colin Baker or whatever, you know? No, I'm not saying that on something that's going to go on an audio format because that'd get me sued. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I'll tell, I'll tell you that one. I'll, I'll tell you that one off there. <laughs> for a little bit of clarity for everybody listening, I have had an absolute nightmare day with my internet. Uh, first of all, I apologise to Dan for messing him about left, right and centre. But secondly, anyone listening, if if there's moments where the sound quality goes wrong or there's there's issues that I can't edit out or we can't redo, I apologise hugely. I don't know what's going on on my internet. It just seems that it works absolutely perfectly for weeks on end and then has a day where it just turns into an absolute freaking idiot and doesn't want to do anything. And that seems to be one of these days. It's taken us best part of an hour and 20 minutes to get around... 35 minutes into the episode, Dan. So, yep. <laughs> so it's, I'm, gonna, I'm just I'm glad it's t- not my internet for once. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to do my best to edit this and make it as easy to listen to as possible. But if there's any moments there that I struggle to edit with, because I'm not exactly an expert, I apologize in advance. And again, Dan, I apologize for having to mess you about. I'll be sitting there oh, waiting whilst, whilst I go off and do my modem. And you probably hear me swearing my head off over the microphone whilst I'm messing around with whatever. But, <laughs> I yeah, can't hear anything. <laughs> That's, that's probably good. I, I used some choice words. My, my kids literally ran into their bedrooms and shut the door. So, <laughs> uh, so then we go back to the the villa. Yeah, the villa that where it is. And um, <laughs> Dio Darty. Dio Darty. Dio Darty. Okay. Ronnie James Dio. Dio. Yeah. I get Ronnie that. Darty. Darty, right? The Villa Dio Darty, and everyone's having a bit of a dance, aren't they? Everyone's doing a bit of a ballroom dancing whilst the the piano is being played for them by the the butler, who I thought was great all the way through this. 
he just yeah, constantly Fletcher. rolls his eyes at everyone, does he? <laughs> yeah, Fletcher was mint. Just at the eye roll at the spooky stories that they were going to tell and just throw out that he's the, he's the real dry um, sort of background comedy that I think you need mm. in an episode like this. But what yeah. I like leading up to this was um, the Doctor had described it as prepared to see like the greatest, some of the greatest literary minds in their element and they're walking the door and they're just rolling around pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And up to that, we've, you know, we've had, we've already had Graham get the shit scared out of him twice now, because mm-hmm. he has one at the front door, and the butler gets it, you know, Fletcher gets it. Um, <laughs> the, but the doctors laid out, laid down some ground rules. Yes. Nobody mentioned Frankenstein because that's what they're there to see. They're there to see Frankenstein getting written. Nobody mentioned Frankenstein. Nobody interfere, and no one snog Byron, Lord Byron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, he has a go, mind, doesn't he, old Lord Byron? He's, he's oh, a bit of a he's a bit of a snake, head. isn't he? He has a go <laughs> <laughs> with well, like, if, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, if it's very much uh, Byron's reputation, I suppose, from the time. Mm. I don't know much about Lord Byron. I don't know much about poetry or poets, but um, it sort of bled in through osmosis that he was a bit of a philanderer, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go with what Doctor Who tells us, mate, because I don't think Doctor Who would ever lie to us. So <laughs> I'm going to take that literally as actual history. Yeah, so. but we do, we do get, we do get one of Graham's very relatable moments as well uh, in this, where he's where the dancing and uh, he's uh, you know obviously a man of a certain age, and I'm, I'm getting to this stage where I was just please excuse me, fair lady, but I must pop to the little boys' room. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and then he spends like the next ten minutes trying to find a loo, doesn't he? And it, it's like, like he's walking around a weather spoons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, but we see as he's kind of exploring this this villa, trying to find the toilet. We see some spooky stuff going on. There's a vase that flies around. There's sort of silhouettes of people popping up in the clap of a, a thunder and lightning, sort of sh- shooting through the air. And then we get a, a sort of what I wrote down initially, obviously we find out later on it's not not this, but at that moment I wrote, some weird spider comes out of a painting. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not quite a spider. No. Uh, did, you not have, did you not have your glasses on, mate? <laughs> I was, well, I was watching on my laptop, wasn't I? Because I was, I was struggling with the iPlayer. Oh, on the course, yeah. Again. So I'm sort of, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I looked at it, I was like, what is it? It looked like a bloody great spider. And eventually yeah. I, I twigged it was like a hand sort of thing, you know? Yeah, it was... Um... There was a lot of very sort of classic horror stuff going on here of people, you know, shapes and figures popping up in the background and in flashes of lightning and all of that, and Graham going up the stairs and then coming up the same set of stairs he just come up. Yeah. So he's like caught in a loop. But he, obviously he doesn't know the house. He doesn't know how necessarily know how tall the building is or what floor he's on. So he just sort of shrugs it off. And then, yeah, the, the vase flies off the wall. Graham scares the shit out of the lady cleaning it up later on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the painting falls off the wall and we do see something bulge out of it and it is just a skeletal hand mm. just ro- rocking around like the thing out of the Adams family. Yeah, that's 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 exactly right, yeah. Just sort of scurrying about like that like thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we're seeing quite a bit going on here, but, but eventually the, the next sort of, I suppose, dramatic scene, I guess, is that the, the, the spider skeleton hand or whatever thing, we'll call it, shall we? Um, effectively <laughs> attacks, attacks Ryan, doesn't it? So Ryan comes into the, the, the skeleton comes into the, into the room. A few yeah. people are scared and are worried about it, but Ryan, Yaz and Graham, they don't panic or, or the doctor, so they don't panic and run away. They literally lean over the top of it and go, Oh, hello. What's that then? Yeah. It's, and this is after, um, 
after uh, Ryan has been challenged by Dr. Polidori to a duel. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> he says he looks a bit rough because he hasn't had a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he's, he's sat there with Mary Shelley trying to play the piano and saying that always... And this was kind of an endearing moment for Ryan uh, when he said, oh, well, my nana just say stick with it, you know, is mm. referring to his piano playing and, and Mary Shelley's writing and things like that. But we, yeah, we get the, uh, it gets challenged to a duel. The hand comes in, it's choking Ryan. And, and uh, Mary Shelley, in fairness to her, just gets right in there, manages to rip it away, chucks it off. The doctor smacks it in midair and Fletcher, good old Fletcher, the butler's there to whack it with a tray and turn it partially into <laughs> dust. But it's just, right, this is where I've got to take a bit of, the, my, my only bit of umbrage with this episode. Ah, There's, okay. Th- th- this bit annoyed me. Because the doctor's there having a taste of the bone dust figuring out where it's from. Which which is the first thing you would do, of course. If confronted with a, a scary skeleton spider ghost hand and, and you defeat it, the first thing you do is stick it on your tongue, naturally. Yeah, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> um, 14th, no, 15th century, a bit more umami, which begs the question, how many fingers has the Doctor eaten? Yeah. Um, <laughs> In their time, or in their, you know, through time, and so I suppose when you live for nearly two thousand years, you're going to just like nibble on some bone now and again. I, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll take your word for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the uh, the aristocrats, if you like, and the poets start saying they. I don't think they're from the colonies, and I can't remember who it was, but someone says no, uh, she's from somewhere much stranger. It's like the north. Get <laughs> whoever wrote that, that line. Oh, we're not see. That, we're, well, some of not all of us. Are that weird of it. See, now, as soon as I heard that moment, I made a note of that because I thought there's no way on earth you're going to let that go. And, no. and my, my first thought straight away was was to yourself, you know. <laughs> but that I thought that was really funny. <laughs> it is, but we can't tell them that. No, exactly. Uh, the next the next thing we see, I suppose, is that Lord Byron he's got a collection of bones and body parts and. Mm. He says his, his collection of war memorabilia, I suppose, for want of a better term. And it's yeah. like he's got a skeleton of a soldier killed X amount of time ago. And that's where this hand had come from. And he's just, just explaining it away. It's, oh, yeah, I've got this. I've got that. I've got this centurion's helmet. I've got this skeleton in a box. And it's like, yeah, it's not normal behavior, mate. You know, you're coming across a little bit weird now. <laughs> Here's my collection of weird shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's how he came across. But really, really proud of his weird shit. Yeah, I mean, when you got a 15th century skeleton from the Battle of Marat, um, just in a trunk, not even on display, not even like you know you'd get like um, a skeleton in like a biology classroom or something, mm. just to show all the bones of the human body. It's not on display. It is just in a trunk. Yeah, rolled up. Yeah. It's, it is very bizarre, but then, you know, text all sorts. They? they didn't have Netflix back then. They've got to do something to keep themselves busy. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we get uh, we get Byron as well uh, projecting a little bit because the one one person who's been missing throughout this is Percy Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, just saying he's indisposed. When and uh, Byron saying, "Oh, well, maybe he's got a, a dalliance in town." And uh, Mary Shelley, or well, he's the soon-to-be Mary Shelley is. Uh, Obviously, quite annoyed by this, just uh, yeah. but just just set, just sort of plants the seed of when they keep mentioning Percy Shelley. Yeah, and of course he is supposed to be there at the time, isn't he? The Doctor says yes. he's missing in action, so to speak. He should be. Mm. They, they are one down in this group, from what the the, the the actual history says. Yeah, and for, we go straight from that with the with Byron's collection of weird shit to uh, another great Graham moment. 
because he's been left yep. with uh, with Polidari. Um, Graham's just reading a book by the fire. He looks round and there's the uh, you know a servant woman and, and a little girl there. Um, that creepy. Yeah, well, they, well, they, the servant woman was the one who appeared in the background when Graham was sliding, uh, climbing the stairs, mm. and then the little girl appeared when he looked into a, uh, a bedroom, and it was the child. It was uh, Mary Shelley's uh, baby's bedroom. Mm. He looked in there, nothing there, no baby either, which was weird because the baby had been put to bed. And then he yeah. closes the door, and the little girl's behind the door. So they've just appeared in this room, with him. and he said, "He just, he just, just God, you're like ninjas, you lot." <laughs> but they bought him a sandwich, you reckon? <laughs> there, was a tra- there was a tray of grub. Yeah. Again, when I say Graham's relatable, he's like, fair play to you, though, I love food. There's never any food. Yeah, that's right. So, like, he's, he's got all of time and space, all of history. He's there with these legendary <laughs> literary figures. And he's just he just wants a bite to eat. Yeah. And I just, it is, it's, it's very human. Exactly. It really and, is. and you get another one as well, don't you? Not long after that, that I've made a note of here. Uh, they're, they're sort of broken off into little groups now and they're going around the house trying to um i suppose look for look for uh per- percy shelley or what, what as to what's going on yeah, yeah. just walking around and, and having a little look at things but of course the house is i suppose playing tricks on them to a degree because they mm. walk in and this i really enjoyed this this was really really good because they'll walk from the doctor for example walks out of a ring but the other side of the door is exactly the same room, so that she walks back in again on herself, so to speak. And when yeah. they go, um, there's one character that goes running up a flight of stairs, they appear behind their friends again on the same flight of stairs behind them, where everything's yeah. kind of looping back in on itself and really sort of trippy, kind of time loopy, kind of really strange. And Graham turns around and just goes, There's something seriously wrong with this gaff. And that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's they're all figuring out that they're trapped in these weird loops. Um, I think Yaz, Ryan, and Mary Shelley say they've done seven seven loops of the staircase, yeah. and all the rest of it is just like, oh man! They, in fact, they see another ghost as well. There's a shadowy figure appears at the uh, the bottom of the stairs. Um, yeah. And actually, Ryan does get for for all the we've said that he's not great and all that. He does get a, a pretty funny moment. Here. Um, he insists that they're experts at sorting this kind of thing to try and like calm Mary Shelley down. And immediately freaks out, saying that the ghost definitely touched him. It definitely touched me. So it touched me. Oh god! Oh god! And Yaz is just there. It was my elbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Just and then they hear the baby crying, and Yaz's first first question: is, Please tell me there's a real baby in here. Because well, that's just, right. Yeah. Just disembodied baby crying would be oh, terrifying. Man. And I'll tell you what. I, I, I'd actually, and this is dreadful as as a father of four. I'd forgotten about the kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what gets me is that uh, Mary Shelley, isn't it? It's, it's her, it's her child, William. The yeah. child's name is, isn't it? Yes. Um, she reacts like she's forgotten as well. She turns around and she all of a sudden she goes, "Oh yeah, my baby's here," sort of thing, with a real shocked expression on her face. It's almost she forgot about the kid as well. Well, she'd left her, she'd left William with the nanny to mm. so she could have a night getting pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good work <laughs> yeah why not why not and I think at this point as well we're, we're, we've sort of glossed over it but they have mentioned uh, that Percy Shelley had uh, seen a vision of something floating across the lake mm. um, uh, you know it's obviously some like a vision of death rising from Hades or something like that and it's about this time that we uh, uh, that the others uh, see it as well 
So it's, and, it's and, also it's also very much building to uh, to something, which is what I like it's a very it's a it's a sort of a, a slow burn towards a uh, a climax, which again is very something you see often in uh, in horror movies. Yeah, and and with regards to that, the sort of ticking boxes of of horror movies, I suppose there's so many little things here that that add up to be creepy that come from that kind of world. The fact that mm. the fact that they're looking out the window uh, uh, later on in the episode, I may be jumping ahead a little bit here, but the fact that they're looking out of the window and they see this figure effectively glowing and hovering above the lake. In a lot of scary movies, there's some body of water somewhere and it's creepy because it's at night because water at lakes at night and so on are creepy. I don't care what yeah. anyone says, they're creepy. You've got the the figures appearing and disappearing. Mm. That's that's in so many films, so many stories. But again, here it's, it's fantastically done. It really works. the The fact that the the characters that we're following, that the heroes of the piece, for want of a better term, are unaware that these bodies are popping up, or all these spirits are popping up behind them, or round the corner. Or yeah. it, it, did I really see that, or was it just a, a trick of the eye? Or it's so many things that add up and add up and add up that just build the suspense, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the, the, you can call them tropes, you can call them whatever, but they work when they're done well. They work. The, the mm. classic, the classic sort of tricks and, and whatnot for a reason, and yeah. I think they do them absolutely fantastically. But another one as well, we see it, uh, another sort of horror trope actually leads to them half resolving what's going on. It's when Polidori starts sleepwalking, mm-hmm. um, but not before. But not before Graham's been. If we're trying to figure out what's oh, sorry, Polidori's got up and just buggered off through a wall. Yeah. <laughs> so Graham's having a bit of a freak out. He's trying yeah. to shout the doctor. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Naturally, yeah. But he goes into the other room. Now Graham doesn't know he's not he's not caught in a loop at this point. But he goes into the other room and the woman and the little girl are there again. Mm-hmm. And that's when he drops the line. There's something seriously wrong with his gaff as he after he shit himself yeah. again. Um, <laughs> the doctor asks if anybody's trapped. And Graham replies, "Yeah, and I think I've seen dead people." <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, as he says that, in every room across these, you know, these three groups split out, all the candles blow out. Yeah, which is brilliant. Um, <laughs> it's just Graham just looks at him. Doctor's trying to figure out. And Graham just looks and says, "Ghosts don't exist." And Graham looks at him and says. Of course not. You two just need a spray tan and a kip, eh? <laughs> it's just, oh, man, I love Graham so much. He's fantastic. I love more than Graham, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. What I love no, more carry than on, Graham no, carry on. is the Doctor continually shutting down Byron. Yes. And his advances. Because she's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, by this point, Polidori's walked through the wall to see them. Byron's hidden behind. I, I think this is the point where he's hidden behind Miss Claremont, or maybe that's later on either way. He's hidden behind this woman who's supposed to be, you know, she's travelled from England to see him and all the rest of it. They're supposed to be involved. Um, he hides behind a begone demon. And then he he's just <laughs> starts coming on to the doctor. He said, may I say you're quite lovely in a crisis? He said, no, you may not. Yeah. And it's very, <laughs> very matter of fact as well. And he also describes the doctor at one stage as, um, I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it was, I think it was interesting or, or something along those lines, an interesting creature. Now, yeah, is that did that work in eighteen sixteen? If you were just to go to a bar and and see a lass you'd like the look of, you just walk over and go, "Hello, you interesting creature." Would that be a eighteen sixteen chat up line? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. 
Any time traveller, any time travellers out there, if you've been to eighteen sixteen, let us know. <laughs> uh, tell us in the tell us in the comments on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it works now. You know, no. I wonder if it'd work now. Should we go out? To, should we go out for a beer sometime, Dan? Me and you, and just walk up to random girls and call them interesting creatures and, and see what happens. No, I don't fancy. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't fancy getting a pint thrown in my face and a kick in the bollocks. I was going to say we'll do it close to where you live, not where I live. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm all right. Okay, I'm all right, mate. <laughs> uh, we come back to the flashing, hovering, sort of white spectre sort of figure effort i guess over the over the lake over the river and it becomes apparent now that this you start you start seeing the silhouette and the body shape as it sort of tries to transport itself into the the building and this is the thing i, I hinted at at the start of our chapter that i totally forgot about it's only a bloody cyberman yep and i didn't intentionally link up the the villains again but i'm really happy it worked out the way it did yeah i had um, no idea yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you'd forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 100%. And I'm sat there really enjoying this, really enjoying this creepy, effectively a, a 50-minute horror show I'm watching. It's really creepy, really atmospheric. I, I'm loving it, completely loving it. And a bloody Cyberman turns up, and I was like, oh, why? Brilliant, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not just any Cyberman. You can see even just this first pretty flash that there's bits of rust. He's not quite mm. finished, which just makes it creepier, especially when you see the close-ups later on. He's a manky Cyberman, isn't he? A Cybermanky. A Cybermanky, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, the, the Doctor gives a brilliant description of Cybermen to Mary Shelley. Yes. Yeah. Um, really and good. this is what this is what I mean about the about Doctor Who and the Doctor influencing uh, future events or works. Because the way the Doctor describes a Cyberman is, um, oh, I had it in my notes there. Uh, it's a person who has been altered. Organs, flesh, surgically replaced with mechanical parts without consent. It drives them insane, so they alter the brain to switch off all emotion. Now, saying about flesh surgically replaced mm-hmm. with mechanical parts, Mary Shelley seeing this thing appear that looks yeah. like a man but isn't a man. That it's Frankenstein. Yeah, she even asks him at one stage, how many how many men has been used to make use sort of thing. Just outright asks if he's a composite. Yeah. And those little bits of inspiration, like popping through, it's just a real, real good little touch. Yeah. The Cyberman is looking for the Guardian, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of get a throwback here as well to the Doctor being told at some point, don't give the lone Cyberman what he wants in a previous story. Yeah, told by none other than Captain Jack Harkness, who ah, made a reappearance. Yeah. Now, this is obviously a lone Cyberman. So you sort of get the links with that there. And this is when a few things did start to come back to me now, when obviously seeing the Cyberman was a big, effectively a big swear for me, because I didn't expect to see a Cyberman in this episode, even though I'd seen the episode before. My memory is that shocking. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it was a big shock for me with that, first of all. And then, of course, the hints about the lone Cyberman sort of brought a few more sort of story arcs back to me. Mm. The Cyberman then, uh, and I thought this was quite quite graphic without actually showing anything the cyberman's walking around looking for the guardian goes in the baby's room the nanny has took the baby out of the cot got into is it like a chest or like a, a, a sort of yeah it's it's like a it's just a big storage chest in the corner yeah. of the room 
yeah. like a blanket over her or the or whatever, hasn't she? Like yeah. there's something covering her, whether it's the lid or the blanket or so on. And the Cyberman opens it up, and you can hear the baby and the woman's led there. But then you get a shot from behind the Cyberman as he puts his hand in to the 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 chest, we'll call it. Mm. And the movement can only possibly mean one thing: he, he just snaps her neck. Yeah, and I it's... was like, whoa. <laughs> But we've already, just before this, the Cyberman in, in, in walking around encounters Fletcher. Yes. Oh, of he course, asks, yes. He asks Fletcher if he's the guy. He says, no, sir, I'm the valet. Yeah. And he's, he's holding Fletcher by the throat. And just, again, you don't see it happen. But he's quite obviously snapped his neck and just thrown the mm-hmm. body on the floor. Yep. But this bit with Elise, uh, the, the nanny Elise and the baby, when they're hiding in there, cowering in fear, and there's this big, it's, again, it's another horror trope. You yeah. hide. You don't want to be found. I mentioned the um, uh, I mentioned the strangers last week. One of the creepiest bits in that film, apart from the guy with the bag on his head looking in, you know, looking in the room and whatnot, was when Liv Tyler was hiding in a wardrobe and she thinks she's safe. He's gone. Then out of nowhere, just an axe straight through this wardrobe door. Right. Okay. Uh, but the, it went deadly silent, and then just bump right through and just I watched this in the cinema and my mate who I was with absolutely crapped his pants <laughs> I think like I would to, the, to the point to the point where he, he he audibly yelled out in the cinema but the reason I bring that up is the the, the losing of the the music and, and the silence is often more effective at being creepy than having mm. music and this goes from awful and, and and sort of graphic without being graphic with the snapping of the nanny's neck so the Cyberman then picks the baby up mm. and everything of the music fades. You've just seen this Cyberman kill two people and he's nose to nose with a baby. I thought initially he was giving the baby a sniff. <laughs> I did. No, honestly, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah I'm not, it's going to sound weird now, but you know, babies have that certain baby smell, don't they? So I thought that the Cyberman was picking the baby up to have a sniff of the baby. <laughs> That's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't think of that because even now, what I've watched this episode about five or six times now, and I can never get it out of my head that he's going to kill the baby. Yeah. Surely they're not going to have a baby die on Doctor Who. Yeah, you, yeah, you couldn't Surely not. contemplate that. But it then becomes even weirder because he looks at this baby and sort of assesses it. Mm. And you see a little pudgy, little pudgy fella just sat there. <laughs> What's going on? But this poor innocent, this poor innocent baby says, just, but he says, don't be afraid, little one. You will be like us. Yeah, that's that was chilling. Whoa. Yeah, that was not cool. <laughs> that was not a good look. That was horrible. <laughs> uh, we basically then, I suppose, skipping forward a little bit, we we find Shelley, don't we, in the basement, or he yeah. has found for us. Uh, he's gone slightly batshit crazy because, well, we, we, we get a flashback that the doctor kind of accesses his memories and we get to see in a nice little video what happened to send this, this mm. scenario to happen. And we come back to my point I tried to make in, I think it was last week's show, um, or what we covered Patrick Triton anyway, and the tomb of the Cybermen. Um, a lot of stuff wouldn't happen if people just learned to leave shit alone. 
<laughs> just don't mess with things that don't belong to you. Because Shelley's picked up something. There's something shiny in the, in, the, in the lake, and he's picked it up having a look at it. And it's Siberium. Is that how you pronounce it? Siberium. Siberium. It's, it's the Siberium. It's a. It, Shelley describes it as looking like a piece of quicksilver, which is mercury. Uh, so yep. Mercury, obviously, you know, metallic liquid. And he's just got oh shiny and stuck his finger in it and picked it up. Yeah. But it's actually, um, but it's actually the advanced AI that controls virtually all aspects of Cybermen and their planning, their functioning, mm-hmm. and also holds the history. Yeah. So it's effectively that is Cybermen. And what I really like about this idea of the Siberian um, is that it kind of explains why Cybermen keep popping up everywhere. Because up till now, it's just been that various people on various planets have had a similar idea mm-hmm. of converting human to machine. Yeah. Which, in essence, is an extension of a theory called the singularity, which is the point where human and machine live in, like, become one and live in perfect harmony. But this is essentially the Siberian has been thrown back through time and landed in, you know, landed in Switzerland in 1816. Yeah. If that's how that works if that's you know if the siberian takes refuge or finds a way to move through time that explain or in time and space that explains why cybermen keep happening with no explanation mm. yeah yeah i suppose it does yeah the, the the effects we get here of the siberian going into shelley's hand and then going up the arm through the veins and, and into the neck and so on almost uh, I suppose almost Terminator Two esque with, with regards to the colouring, the silver aspects of it, and so on. Yeah, but I, I thought this was great. I really because it's creepy, it's horrible, and even though it's a, it's effectively a nice sunny day, but we're taken away from the, the darkness and and the the candles blowing out, the creepiness of the castle, that the villa. Sorry, this is a completely different atmosphere. This is a nice sunny day. He's going for a stroll by the water. This was chilling and creepy as much as seeing the ghosts in the dark corridors of the villa, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's taking, it's giving you a bit of a reprieve. Mm. There's brightness, there's sunshine. It's just a, a stroll along the lake, yep. and then he finds this thing. Oh, what's this? It's, it's a bit odd. And holy shit, it's eating me from the inside out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, we come back to my point of if people just left stuff alone, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> oh, so much shiny in the lake. What am I going to do? I'm going to step over it and carry on with my stroll. I'm not going to stick my finger in it. I'm not going to pick it up. Just leave it be. Unless I thought it was money. Well, then you'd have ended up with a Terminator 2 arm and scribbling crazy nonsense on your bedroom wall, wouldn't you, like Shelley? You know? <laughs> I, I, I don't need an alien AI to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh, we basically find out that Shelley is the guardian that, uh, that the Cyberman is seeking. The Cyberman yeah. is after the, the, the Siberian. Ryan here is incredibly cold, isn't he? And gets a bit mm. of a bollocking from the doctor. He gets a bit of a telling off. Because Ryan basically says, we can't give the Siberian to the, the, the Cyberman because the Cyberman's then going to wreak havoc and kill millions of people and, and so on. You know, the, the horrific future that we are aware of that could happen with, with Cybermen. So Ryan basically tells the doctor, well, it, Shelley's only one life. Just let him let him be done. And, yeah. and stop, you know, that was, I, I, you know, any warmth that we got from Ryan earlier in the episode is gone right here. <laughs> it, it is, but it's a, there's also Yaz backing him up. And 
you can, when you take it in a wider context of they have had this previous adventure with Jack Harkness, where they've effectively ended up on his ship and all the, for the sole reason of him to deliver a message, say, tell the doctor, don't give the lone side of the man what it wants. That is huge for Jack to try and get back into the doctor's life at this stage after being so long apart from each other. Yeah. Because he's not been seen since Tenant, basically. That is huge. So that must mean it's the direst need and the gravest warning. Mm. But yeah, on the flip side, they're saying, you know, does it goes back to Tom Baker. Do I have the right? Yeah. You know, sacrifice one life to save thousands. But then the doctor comes back with one of those speeches. It's one of those where you think like, ooh, that was pretty good. Yeah, you know really, I, mean? I, where, I love this. Yeah, because she's, she's arguing, uh, the doctor's arguing, saying about it's Shelley or Millions. But the influence of Shelley's work on history then goes along the lines of words matter, one death, one ripple, and history will change in a blink. The future will not be the world you know. And points out that just this one death could result in Yaz, Ryan, Graham never existing. Yeah. And that's when we get to the, they, they sort of have that moment with like, ah, oh, shit, yeah. You know, the doctor's right. And it, this is where we go back to the team structure things. Because sometimes this team structure isn't flat. It's mountainous with me at the summit in the stratosphere alone, left to choose. Save the poet, save the universe. Watch people burn now or tomorrow. Sometimes mm-hmm. even I can't win. And it's that line there that even I can't yeah. win. It's just like, oh, man. But I, I, I love the doctor pulling rank as well. In any incarnation of the doctor. Yeah. When the doctor pulls rank and he's saying, uh, hang on, you lot are getting a bit too know-it-all, think you know everything, sit back down a minute, We're gonna. I'm going to teach you what's what. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got planets to save or whatever, you know, it's kind of, yeah, just, just brilliant stuff. And I suppose it was at this moment here, watching this episode back for, for today's podcast, that I really kind of appreciated Jodie Whittaker's Doctor all over again. Because if, if because this is now current time for us, I guess we're watching Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor now, mm. and as as a full season, we're not getting any more of that. That's been done. So then we've had the special for New Year's, and we know we've got two more specials, but they're mm. kind of spaced out throughout the year. It's almost a kind of almost an out of sight, out of mind thing for me because we're kind of in in that era now. So it hasn't finished. We can't really pass judgment on Jodie Whittaker's Doctor fully because we don't know what's to come in the next two specials. Exactly right. I th- And I I did something similar with Capaldi. I did not fully appreciate Capaldi while his run was going on. Okay. After after he'd left and I had the chance to go back and re-watch the episodes, I appreciated a good deal more. Don't get me wrong, there is still some utter crap in Capaldi's era. Mm-hmm but there's a lot more good than I thought there was initially. And right. I've a, I've a feeling I'm going to be the same with Jodie Whittaker. When I make the time or take the time to go back and re-watch certain episodes that maybe I thought were a bit, yeah, you know, I think I'll find more more that I like than uh, you know than I thought previously. Because mm. there's 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 a couple of episodes that, uh, in this series that um you know where this episode is that were a little bit on the nose with the messages they were trying to deliver. Like Praxius, where it was it was something to do with ocean pollution and a giant 
can't remember if it was a ship like made of plastics in the ocean and all the rest of it, but it was a okay. it was a very it was a very on the nose message about look after the planet, recycling, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And there was another environmental one just before that. I think it was Orphan Fifty Five, where they end up on a on a spa in like an like an alien spa thing, but it's built on a dead planet, right? But it turns out there are it's not a dead planet. There are creatures living outside of the facility that then get in. But the big reveal at the end of it. Spoilers. This is only two years, not fifty-seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it turns out it's Earth. Yeah, it's Earth in the future. But the, the planet's gone so wrong. We've killed it so much that these creatures are us. Mm. Essentially, just where we've had to evolve and adapt to live in the radioactive wasteland. I mean, potentially a, a fantastic story, but as you said, very, very on the nose with its message, isn't it? There's no. Subtleties there. It's very much a case of, yeah, and it, you know, it does. It, it didn't make that episode bad, but at the same time, you just like I get that Doctor Who's always been always been like that to a point, pointing out the flaws in humanity mm-hmm. for essentially from an alien perspective. I get that. It just like you say, it was just a little. It, it was it was very tell don't show if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we're, we're fast approaching the end of the episode now, really, aren't we? This is uh, all this build-up, all this suspense, all these where is Shelley, who is this, who is the Guardian when the Sideman arrives and so on. We're very much heading to uh, effectively the climax of the episode and where we go afterwards, like as you said with the two-parter that kind of follows on from mm. this. The Cyberman, the Cyberman here as well shows emotion and I think has a great speech as well. Is this with, the exchange with Mary Shelley? Yes, where oh. they, they, she asks about, you know, you spared my son. Were you once a father yourself? And he starts mm. talking about it. And then literally like the flick of a switch just goes from being so uh, re- remorseful and almost having depth to the Cyberman an emotion to just being absolutely not, not just cold as Cybermen are, but horrific and terrifying. As they t- he turns around and says he slit his own kid's throats and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like, why? Mm-hmm. It's um, because, well, the doctor pointed this out early in the episode where the Cyberman admitted that the doctor was frustrating him. Mm-hmm. And she's a yeah. bit, bit human. Yeah. And, you know, saying, <laughs> they're not quite finished with it. He's like, I, I do not need to be altered. I'm, I'm enough to serve my purpose. And then Mary Shelley gives this great thing about how they hurt him. He doesn't want you know. He loved once and were loved in return. You don't wish to kill, and offers a hand to the Cyberman, which mm-hmm. just shows like anybody who knows ever encountered the Cyberman or has heard of them, you're not going to try and touch a Cyberman. It's not. It's a. It's a kind of pleasant naivety, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and it, it's really Mary Shelley trying to get through to to the Cyberman, and we actually find the Cyberman remembers his name. He says his name was Ashad. Yeah. Says he spared his son. He, he reaches out and you can just see part of the face through the, the incomplete Cyberman helmet, I suppose. The Cyberman he looks, Yeah, the Cyberman <laughs> helmet. Yeah. And he looks he looks almost mournful. Mm-hmm. And and sort of melancholy. He said, you know, I did spare you something. He's, he's reached out to take a hand, but then grabs a forearm. And that, yeah. just that twist in the, the anger and the bar, so calling the baby a useless runt. And it just flicks, doesn't oh, it? And, and the, yeah. the eyes go, and oh, the, the, the snarling through his teeth at that point. Yeah, and then, like you say, he slit his own kids' throats when they joined the resistance. Yeah. And then he's got Mary Shelley by the back of the neck, and it's almost, 
the best thing I can liken it to is like a, a, a religious fervor. Like when you see like somebody who just hardcore believes everything they're saying to the ends of the earth saying in death we are transformed improved updated as you will learn yeah it's just (laughs) again more more chills more thriller horror aspects i guess uh the doctor still has to make the decision though Mm. does the doctor allow the siberium to go with the cyberman or not and does the doctor allow Shelley to die in this process? I mean, I mean, talk us through effectively how the doctor makes that decision and, and which way she goes about it then. So we have, we have a great sort of standoff with both the doctor and the Cyberman reaching for the Siberian. Mm-hmm. And the Cyberman chooses the doctor. Uh, doctor put it down to Time Lord Magnetism. <laughs> which made um, me chuckle. That was great. Yeah, yeah, I did like that. But obviously the, the Siberian has taken, has assessed both of them. While the Cyberman is a Cyberman, he's effectively broken or incomplete, and the Doctor has all this wealth of knowledge already and this time lord physiology that will make it compatible. But then the Cyberman threatens it with execution, but the Siberian won't won't leave the Doctor without a fight. So that'll just be a whole other war of attrition. And then the Cyberman summons the the dreaded Sky Hole, which has become a fad in... uh, in a lot of movies and whatnot, you know, sci-fi stuff over the probably over the last decade, I'd say. Um, but he's summoning his ship. The right. ship will lock onto the Cyberman signal, push through, and essentially rip, uh, rip, a, rip this reality and planet apart. So it's effectively give up the Siberian, or the world ends in eighteen sixteen. Yeah, just everything's just wiped out and destroyed. Oh, the companions get cold again. Because they reckon the Simon man's bluffing. Yeah. But it's the doctor... Not, uh, yeah. You're not playing a game of poker. This is like... This is like the future existence of the planet. You don't sort of, you know... <laughs> yeah. You don't, just, you don't a, just sort of edge your bets and hope, do you? Yeah, it's a bit naive. Um, and the doctor says she can't be sure. Can't sacrifice the planet, essentially. Cyber monkey. A shard says that they're inevitable. And the doctor kind of agrees. Mm. Gives up the Siberian... And the weather immediately clears, because it turns out this. Because I need to look into this again. I, I looked at it when this aired, but the summer of eighteen sixteen in this area, the weather was mental. Basically, wasn't a summer, um, effectively. But the Cyberman had essentially engineered the weather to use as a power source because we see him actually get rejuvenated by from uh, the lightning by, at one stage, yeah, yeah, by a lightning bolt. Because up until that point, his, his you know his arm blaster doesn't work or anything. Um, then we get a. Um, we get a really sort of fun little line from the Doctor in the circumstances, uh, saying that the Doctor's put the future in danger, saving Shelley was step one in a plan. Yes. And then uh, step two is fixing the mess caused by saving Shelley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. But again, it kind of shows that, I suppose it kind of backs up the 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 team dynamic speech that we had earlier on in saying mm. that it's not it's not a flat dynamic i'm at the very top and i have to make very difficult decisions the doctor's made that decision to put a fire out on that occasion for one of a better term to then fight the next fire the following day yes yeah. if, if that's one way of wording it it is yeah it's exactly right you've put you've put a fire out there but you're gonna have to deal with a much bigger fire in the very near future yeah but you couldn't let that fire destroy destroy everything you've essentially the doctor's essentially bought them time mm. yeah 
and that's that's kind of it i guess isn't it we get a little bit of a reek or a little bit of a wrap up with regards to the characters that the doctor and the crew leave behind where yeah. uh I, I, I forget the fella's name lord byron yeah where lord byron kind of gets rejected once more and turned oh, away for his glorious snaky attitude glorious miss claremont just yeah. briefly says to it byron suggests uh, retiring as a lie down could prove restorative <laughs> in, uh, which is uh, which is the 1816 version of saying do you fancy a bit um, you <laughs> Miss Claremont, you, yeah <laughs> um, Miss Claremont just stops short and says you pursued Mrs Doctor which is just weird to hear and I wish they would have listened to the Doctor and stopped calling her Mrs Doctor see I quite um, liked that because it's the it's the formalities of the time it's the yeah, I get being it, polite yeah. and be, no, I, I kind of liked that kind of I suppose getting things wrong for want of trying so hard to get them right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A little more truck with it when you put it that way. Yeah. Um, but she, she says to Byron, you pursued Mrs. Doctor without care for my presence, belittled my thoughts and opinions and proceeded to use my person as a human shield. And yeah. it looks at her and says, it looks at her and says, and, <laughs> and she, <laughs> you know, arrogant bastard. And she looks back and she says, and the spell is broken. And just wanders off mm. on her own, and you get Polidori giving it that. That he was going to say something, then he just laughs, just essentially smiles at him and walks away. Yeah, it's it's great. It's just a brilliant way of ending ending what we we leave behind, I suppose, in in the eighteen hundreds. Back on the TARDIS, the Doctor is giving Yaz, Ryan, and Graham the option to get dropped off back home, whilst yep. the Doctor goes and chases the the lone Cyberman and tries to. Um, I suppose clear up the mess from that he's caused that she has caused sorry in stage one uh, of the plan. Yeah. Uh, they all agree. No, we're staying here. We're definitely we're, we're all we're a team. We're staying together, and that effectively ends the episode, Dan, doesn't it? It does. But before we go, I do just want to give one last. Uh, I, I kind of want to give the last word to Graham uh, in this show because the one thing we haven't resolved is who were. The, who were the woman and the little girl that we see? Oh my goodness! Yes, I, yes. Then, I've even uh, got a note about that. I've got no idea why uh, I skipped over uh, it. You're right. Graham says, "If all the weirdness was was the Siberian, why would it reanimate a couple of stiffs to bring me a sani?" Yeah, uh, which is a great <laughs> line. Um, nobody else saw the ghost. Graham is practically begging the doctor for a rational explanation, and then he says, "The ghosts don't exist, right?" And the doctor just says, "No, no, absolutely not. Unless they do." Mm. And Graham's face, like Bradley Walsh's face, is an absolute picture. He's just, he's like, it's kind of that look about Oh shit, I saw ghosts, and just like, just like existential crisis level. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just oh, so good. And again, we've we've done it all episode, but again, I feel the need to sing the praises of Bradley Walsh just for being just just for being Graham and being absolutely fantastic. I love the character. I love I love this episode. Just just brilliant stuff. So. Overall, then, Dan, obviously this was your selection because it's from the New Who era of the show. Overall, what, what are your thoughts as we come to a close? Well, I've made it quite clear. I think I, I absolutely adore this episode. For me, it's mm-hmm. by far and away Jodie Whittaker's um, best story that she's involved in. Um, it's a really strong performance by her uh, as the Doctor, pulling rank giving those kinds of speeches, being a little bit cheeky with the uh, with the Cyberman and having a, yeah. you know, having a little piss take and all that, and but then shooting down Byron and having to put in a lot of work just to keep people <laughs> alive and find out what's going on. Um, 
all the comp- there was a good deal to do for the companions. We didn't even mention Yaz having the uh, the little sit down with um, with Miss Claremont as she's trying to break into Byron's chambers. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. You know, a little pep talk of saying, you know, is he really worth it? And yeah. uh, and then it's the the first that I can remember the first sort of allusion to um, the sort of developments that came about on New Year's Day this year between Yaz and the Doctor. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, at the time. Watching this when it was when it first released, I wouldn't have picked up on that at all. No, think, no, no inkling at all. But knowing what happened on New Year's, and then this is the first Jodie Whittaker story or episode I've seen since New Year's, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my god, look!" You know, it's yeah. quite, you know, it, it's the if there was any subtlety there beforehand, it was very much wiped away for me. This is what I mean when I say, you know, I go back and, and rewatch these episodes, and I think there's going to be more enjoyment in them. Well, at the end of Whitaker's run, because I did similar with Capaldi, there was you know bits mm. that I just didn't appreciate, but then turned out to be significant, yeah, and all of that, and that that was a, a sort of a brief, almost throwaway moment at the time in what was a, otherwise a very good episode. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this is definitely one of the stronger stories uh, from uh, uh, from the the Chibnall Whitaker era. Um, I love the the special effects are on point. Everything the everything they do. Pretty much, apart from the line about the North, works <laughs> for me. I really, I really don't have much of a problem with this at all yeah. in any aspect. I agree. I agree. This is to me fantastic, Doctor Who. This is to me what Doctor Who should be. This is is creepy. It's scary. Mm. You've got a classic villain in, in, involved as well. The Doctor is showing all sorts of emotions and acting a bit madcap and running from one place to another while solving these issues. The companions all serve a purpose. They're not just there, even Ryan, I suppose, to a degree. Mm-hmm. They're just, there's little bits of comedy, but ultimately it comes back to it's creepy and it's a bit scary. And that's how Doctor Who should be to me. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Can't disagree with any of that. I do just want to very quickly give a shout to Lily Miller, who plays Mary Shelley as well. Okay. Um, I had a bit look into the cast, and and there wasn't that much that sort of related to this and be, be an interesting read. But on IMDb, at least, this role as Mary Shelley is Lily Miller's third uh, third credit. Oh, really? So apart from Doctor Who, it's the third thing. Uh, sorry, apart from yeah. So this is the third thing she appears in IMDb. Well, that's obviously that won't be a third acting role ever. Hmm. But it's the third, enough to third be credited one, with, so yeah, to speak. third one notable enough to be on IMDb. And she was again, I thought she she was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, real complex, complex, nuanced side characters as well, which always mm-hmm. helps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we did touch upon it last week and say that we would have to have the conversation because you're going to get people who, no doubt, will ask why we didn't if we do not have this conversation (laughs) but we'll we'll cover it very quickly before we get to my selection for a classic episode next week um jodie whittaker as the doctor to me put aside who she is put aside it's jodie whittaker the doctor as as a lady a female doctor who Mm. what were your thoughts when it was first discussed mentioned happened and what are your thoughts now, as we're effectively coming to the end of the run of the first female Doctor Who? Um, my thoughts at the time when it, when Jodie Whittaker was announced was, well, she, she'd been heavily rumoured anyway, or a female Doctor had been heavily rumoured. Mm-hmm. So my initial thoughts were, oh, all right, see where this goes. 
I'd have looked to see uh, what Jodie Whittaker had been in. Uh, nothing I've seen because I'm uh, for TV shows at least. I'm uh, I'm as bad as you are with movies. <laughs> 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 so I just I was a bit nonplussed, really. Um, I figured it a female doctor was only a matter of time um, mm-hmm. because just. Why not? You got to give it. You got to give some. You got to give it a go at some point. You've got a character with effectively infinite regenerations and infinite faces. They've already put it into canon in the Capaldi era that Time Lords can regenerate male to female. And in mm. fact, actually, in fact, they've been mentioning it possibly as far back as maybe Smith. Okay. Certainly, as far, certainly as far back as Capaldi. In fact, in the Capaldi era, you had Missy. Yes. It was the Brilliant master. Oh, oh, Michelle Gomez, fantastic. And mm. to my mind, to my mind, I love Michelle Gomez as Missy slash the master. And you can't praise Michelle Gomez to the hilt for playing the master and then have a problem with a female doctor. Very true. Very true. I mean, my my initial thoughts when it was first announced, I didn't know who Jodie Whittaker was. No, Again, my head is effectively in the sand a great deal with regards to TV and, and so on. I, I like what I like and I watch what I like. It takes a lot for somebody to get me to tune into something new. So, as the wife will attest and gets quite frustrated about. <laughs> so Jodie Whittaker, I had no idea who she was. I just heard the rumours and, and, and the comments of a female Doctor. Now, I watched this show when I was a kid. I watched this show up until 89 when it, when it ceased to be for 20 odd years. Hmm. and I've, I've watched back a lot of classic who on VHS tapes with my friends. It was a big part of my childhood growing up. The doctor becoming a girl, the doctor becoming a lady. Initially I was like, yeah, I ain't fond of that. I, I was very much in the mind and it's a very old fashioned mindset. It's very, I suppose I fear change old man shouting at <laughs> kind of mindset. But I was very much like, no, uh, no, Doctor Who is what Doctor Who to me has always been. Why have we got to change it? Why have we got to muck around with it? Hmm. Two things have really changed my mind and shown how basically ignorant and how much of a dumbass I was in that initial thought process. One has been the long term, the the more long term reason is Jodie Whittaker herself. Watching this episode back today, I thought she was fantastic. Hmm. I thought she was great in the flux. I thought. Okay, as as you mentioned, Dan, she may have been hindered with some poor writing, but I think Jodie Whittaker herself has been bloody brilliant. And now I look at Jodie Whittaker, and she is the doctor to me. Yeah, you know, she is someone who I list as being a doctor. Secondly, the thing that really changed my mind was literally the next day after the video came out, where she, where Jodie Whittaker was walking through that. I suppose it was like a wood or a meadow or something like that, and pulled the hood mm-hmm. back, and you could see that. The, and this is the next Doctor introducing Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker, and that was just broadcast on the BBC as a little trailer for it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The next day, there was so many videos of little girls who had watched that trailer, and their parents videoing these little girls' reactions to a program that they loved because I'm, I'm, I've always been incredibly selfish and looking at it from, well, in 1988, I was watching Doctor Who and there was no, there was no lady time Lord there. And I was being incredibly selfish as like a, a, a 38, 39, 40 year old man, whatever I was at the time. These kids are experiencing now what I had with Sylvester McCoy back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. This is their TV program now as a kid. 
seeing these kids so excited and these little girls genuinely crying it tears of joy because their favorite tv character was all of a sudden you know a, a, a now a female yeah, yeah. Now, now now a woman and the, i suppose the realization to some i could go on and do that or whatever as a as a father to i got four kids but three of them are our daughters i realized how incredibly pig ignorant and selfish i was the day before Mm. And I'm not going to lie, I watched some of these girls' reactions and it brought a tear to my eye because it was just beautiful. Yeah, and I, I've and seen them as well. So, so, mate, it's fantastic. So to me, yeah. the Doctor being a lady, what a masterstroke of absolute genius because I look at those kids' reactions and that's what it's all about to me. Yeah. We, you know, we, we can say, you know, well, the Doctor's been, the Doctor's a man, blah, blah. Mm. The Doctor is a time-travelling alien in a blue box. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and I mentioned it last I briefly mentioned it last week if you're that concerned about what's in, about what's in an alien's pants you've got bigger issues in your life man. yeah come on yeah, like, you know oh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not I'm not directing I'm not, yeah, I'm not directing that at you obviously because no 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 I think it takes um, it takes an it takes a, an incredibly um, sort of self-aware and, and big person to to admit when they're wrong but I think more people need to take that on board quite frankly it is okay to be wrong or to change your mind Mm. You know, you don't have to have one course and stick to it. Um, like those, uh, I've got to bring up. I've got to bring up a pimple bit quickly. Uh, there's a there's an MP called Nick Fletcher uh, recently, who was in some whatever the fuck he was doing, um, saying that female replacements in shows like Doctor Who were robbing you, uh, young men and boys of good role models. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, get your head out of your ass. You absolute toss pot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I say this to somebody. I watched. I've watched the new Who, and I've taken on board a lot of lessons and, and, and mm. tried to, you know, from from episodes and things like that. But if this guy thinks that kids are getting their role models solely from the TV, he's either a complete idiot or a shit parent. Yeah, exactly. I'm playing devil's advocate as well, looking at it the other way around. Okay, so having a female Doctor Who means, in this guy's mind, I'm not agreeing with him in any way, shape, or form, mm. but in this guy's mind, that young boys are not getting the role model in Doctor Who. Does it then not yeah. mean, but on the flip side, that young girls are? Is that it, not it, a positive to potentially look at instead in, in his twisted logic? But also part of that logic is that a female Doctor can only be a role model for, for young girls. Yeah, exactly. It's it's utter bollocks. Yeah, utter, utter bollocks. Yeah, what? <laughs> just like and they tried to pass it off. So well, it was actually a more nuanced point, and they'll piss off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right then. Um, next week, Dan. There's a few reasons why I've chosen this story that we're heading to next week. I mean, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, the show very much alternates between New Who and Classic Who. Dan picks the new Who episodes for us to go and watch because he knows far more about it than I. And I love pick the classic Who episodes. And we're doing 13-ish episodes for the season, one story per Doctor. And that, that's kind of how the show is uh, is running for this first season. This coming episode next week is something that I, I, I can remember watching when it aired, but I, I know I've not seen it since because I can't remember anything else about it other than the bad guys involved and so on. But the reason I've picked it is because the last time we looked at Classic Who, it was, it's all been quite dated. It's all been 74, 67, and so on. But then you've obviously then picked 
Jodie Whittaker for this week. So that's modern day. That's effectively the last who at the moment of the new era. Hmm. So I thought I'm going to sort of go along with that and go with the last who of the classic era. So I'd like to have a look at a Sylvester McCoy story. Now, there's numerous ones that jump to mind. There's one that at some stage we will cover in the show that involves the Cybermen. But we're not going to look at that on this occasion. But the reason we're, we're going to cover that is because that's the that's the serial that gave me nightmares when I was a kid. <laughs> and, and so that's we will definitely look at that at some stage. And then we can laugh at the silly, silly scene that is no way scary at all. It was just all in my head. Um, <laughs> there's <laughs> things like the Happiness Patrol and so on that are very up and down, hit and miss. I mean, Sylvester McCoy's first season, there was a lot of crap there. Sylvester yeah. McCoy's second season, much better. This is actually the very end of his last season. This is the last serial Doctor Who broadcast in its first run from November 1989, and it's called Survival. Mm-hmm. And it involves the Doctor and Ace battling the Master, some weird-ass-looking cheetah people, um, and so on. And again, I've picked this from a, from a standpoint of kind of going into it in the same way that you will be. I don't remember it. To me, it's going to be like watching it for the first time. So I thought that'd be a really interesting thing for us to do because obviously each episode we've covered so far, one of us has seen it or semi-remembers it. This one, I think we can go in both of us blind and I think that'd be quite interesting. And secondly, Sylvester McCoy, age-wise growing up with regards to t- television broadcast, officially, I suppose, he was my doctor. Because yeah. that's who was Doctor when I was watching as a kid. So it'd be interesting to go back and, and, and view that. So yeah, the three-part series, Survival, First broadcast in November 1989. Uh, apparently halfway through, they realised that Doctor Who might not be coming back, but there's plenty more research I've got to do into that before we get there. But yeah, that's that's kind of where, where I'd like to go next week then, Dan. Sounds good to me. Again, I've never seen any... My only experience of Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor is uh, is the movie. Okay. Very regenerates at the very... I'm assuming it's at the very beginning. God, Spoilers. <laughs> but the thing is, I've not seen that, so it's not a spoiler because I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's fairly obvious because yeah, we all know that Paul McGann's the star, the, the, yeah, the star of it. So yeah, there you go. But yeah, I'm excited for that. It's uh, it's going to be a good one, and we're getting the master. Yes, we another, are. Another one of the yes, we uh, well, probably the classic villain, I suppose. And it's the, the last. This is also the last serial or last appearance. Sorry that Anthony Ainley plays the master. Mm. He's then replaced for the movie. And then we go into new who, and obviously have various different actors portraying the role there. But that particular actor did play the master over a couple of different doctors, different stories and so on. So that'd be interesting to take a story in what well, a story with the master, because we've not seen him yet. And yeah. a story with that particular actor, I guess. It will be. And I've even I've in the limited uh, old sort of classic that I've watched, even I know Anthony Ainley's a fantastic master. Yeah, he's great. That evil grin is brilliant. <laughs> so, Dan, before I let you depart, can you let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and all the wonderful shows you're involved in online, please? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's six weeks out of date, movies that are 25 years out of date, and Doctor Who from 2005 onwards. Um <laughs> You can find me on uh, UTT Podcast, Unbooking the Territory, uh, on Twitter and podcast platforms at UTT Podcast. Uh, it's myself and UTT Rob 
uh, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling. So it might be the first episodes of a certain series or somebody's debut or last episode or last appearance. Anything that falls under the umbrella of first and last. Uh, the whole first series was looking at the highest and lowest rated episodes of Raw and Nitro. Uh, we have a spin-off called Unbooking the Tankatory, where we're charting the uh, career match by match of Tank Abbott in WCW, because that's a perfectly that's awesome. normal that's a perfectly normal <laughs> thing that rational people do. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also a part of the monthly pay-per-view reviews uh, on the 90s wrestling podcast feed of Primetime Conversations. Uh, myself, Mags, Rob, and uh, the head honcho over there, James, uh, look at a different uh, pay-per-view once a month we're chronolo- chronologically going through uh, the entire 1990s wwf amazing stuff amazing very much an up and down decade from what i remember so yes <laughs> yeah amazing stuff okay you can find me at sjp words on twitter and from there it's quite easy to find the shows that i'm involved in we have the waiting room podcast a quantum leap podcast going episode by episode through quantum leap from the very beginning onwards with my good friend benny mac you can see that at the waiting room pod underscore that's on facebook twitter etc etc we have chain wrestling which is live every monday night to nine o'clock via the radio techers youtube and twitch the available nine o'clock in the uk i think it's 4 p.m eastern time if anyone on the other side of the pond is listening there you can catch us there live or there is a podcast audio version that comes out on the wednesday as well that's chain underscore wrestling on twitter facebook and everywhere else you can find that and ultimately yeah it's easy the easiest way of doing any of this is to just find find me at sjp words on twitter and i'm always tweeting out links to the shows and so on from there but most importantly you can follow this show at the doctor who pod on twitter and facebook and it's exactly as it sounds at the dr w h o p o d at the doctor who pod Track us down there, follow us, let us know what you think of the show, ask any questions, any requests, any particular stories you want us to look at, anything at all. Season two is very much going to be where we sort of tinker with the format and uh, alter what we're doing and look at different things, potentially have some guests on, maybe put out votes to see what people want to listen to, anything at all. So get involved and let us know what you think there. Dan? It's been an absolute pleasure after I got over the horrific internet problems I had that were making me scream and shout, and I could feel my hair going going greyer by the second as that was going on. Thank you for your tolerance and your patience there, my friend. Oh, it's absolutely no problem, mate. You know, I don't mind waiting to speak to you, pal. I always love doing this. And, uh, yeah, let's get it cracking on for, uh, for next week in Sylvester McCoy. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Dan. And, as always, to everybody else, I'm Sai. And thank you so, so much for listening. Bye-bye. done here i've pressed the button wrong and i've disappeared and there i am i'm back it's okay right <laughs> but again, on my end. <laughs> <laughs>